you got your Bibles, I invite you to join me in Acts chapter 1 and uh, beginning our journey through this powerful book. And uh, so if you'll join me there and as you are turning there to the book of Acts, I wanted to share a photograph uh, with you all that is very close to my heart. Uh, I've kept it nearby me for many years and uh, this is a picture of, uh, of the Brookses. I'm a Brooks, I'm Jared Brooks and, and this is... This is the men in my life right here. I love these guys. I got the baby, which is my daddy. That's my dad. And uh, these are five generations of Brookses. So the baby is my dad. And then going left to right uh, is my granddad, my great-granddad, my great-great-granddad, and then the John Wayne guy with a handkerchief around his neck. That is my great-great-great-granddad. And I, I love this picture. It's taken somewhere around 1948-ish, and, uh, and, and, and I've only had the pleasure of knowing two of the men in that picture, and that was my dad, and it was my great-granddad, and, and though I may not have met these men, it is their legacy, it is their story, it is their testimony, it is their decisions, good and bad, that in a lot of ways have shaped uh, who I have become, as they were a dad to their son, and then to their son, and to their son, and to their son, and eventually, and to me, and this this shapes a lot of the way uh, that I, I can even view life, and, and as we open up our study in Acts, the reason that I show this picture is, as we open Acts, we are opening our story as the church, we're, we're, we're jumping into our heritage, our family, our lineage as a faith family. Because in the book of Acts, what we have is a, it is a, it is a written story. It is our written picture of our faith family. That the book of Acts takes uh, the course of about three decades, from AD 33 to about AD 64, right in there, about 30 decades. And in that, in that short time, in the kind of the grand scheme or perspective, you see the gospel moving forward with great power and how the gospel moved from uh, a dozen guys and a handful of faithful women and how the Holy Spirit filled them and empowered them to take the gospel literally to the ends of the earth. And so here we are looking at this book and, and I love this book. Because again, it informs us, it challenges us, it encourages us. This is our story. This is our history. And so even if you were, there's 28 chapters in Acts. If you were to go to the very last chapter, the very last verse, you will find that the book of Acts kind of almost abruptly ends. And it's, it's Paul in his first Roman imprisonment. And here's what Paul says in the very last verse of Acts. He says that it says that Paul was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Some versions may say uh, unhindered. And so we hear that and we're like, but but if, if I'm familiar, I, I've heard a lot of pain in that story, like suffering persecution and the gospel, the gospel moving forward unhindered. Yes, that actually persecution pushed the gospel out, pushed the gospel forward. The church grew because of persecution. That in Acts, and we'll see it as we go through, we will see persecution, we will see suffering, 
We will see martyrdom. We will see imprisonment. And all of these, all of these serve to push the gospel forward unhindered. As we start this study in Acts, I want to take just a couple minutes to give a little bit of an extra background. I won't do this every week, but just as we begin, I think it's important to just kind of see how we have this book. The book of Acts is actually part of a two-volume work written by a physician, a Gentile physician named Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke is the same author of the Gospel of Luke, and he also wrote the book of Acts. This is a two-volume work. He is the only non-Jewish writer in the whole New Testament. Dr. Luke was a beloved friend and companion to the Apostle Paul. In Colossians 4.14, Paul describes Dr. Luke as his beloved physician. And then in another letter Paul wrote to Philemon, he says in Philemon 1.24 that he's a fellow laborer. And so not only is he a physician... But he is a co-laborer in the gospel. He is a missionary doctor. And he's on the mission. In Acts chapter 16, when we get there, we're going to notice a little switch in the book. Because up to that point, we're going to see a lot of third person pronouns. We're going to see he and they and she and them. And then in Acts 16, we're going to start seeing we and us. Because in Acts 16, this is the part of the story where Dr. Luke joins the mission team with Paul. And for the rest of the book, we see that he is there on this journey with. Dr. Luke is writing this two-volume work to a guy by the name of Theophilus. Theophilus, he's, he's known as the most excellent Theophilus. In Luke, in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 1, the first volume, the first four verses say this. Luke says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you. Here it is. Most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. And so Dr. Luke is writing this book, writing this book to Theophilus. Best we can gather, we don't know for sure, but Theophilus would have been like a, a Roman officer. Because oftentimes the, 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 the Roman officials would, would, would be referred to with titles. And so you see he's writing this to most excellent Theophilus. In Acts chapter 1, 1, we see in the first book, talking about the gospel of Luke. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so he is writing this. He, is, he has been employed by Theophilus to provide a written account for all that Christ has done. And we see this in the gospel and all that Christ continues to do through the church in the book of Acts. Theophilus, this guy's name, all of us have names um, and, and our names mean something. All right, they mean something. Theophilus, his name means one who loves God or lover of God. And here's what I love about this is here, here is this lover of God or one who loves God. And he is seeking, he is seeking to know more about Christ, about the gospel. And so, again, he's been employed by Theophilus to go and pull this account together and present to him. And what we don't know for sure is if Theophilus is a believer. We don't know that. Um, 
He could be a Gentile believer and, and, and the, the book of Acts and the gospel of Luke, as he reads those, these are only going to serve to embolden and encourage and strengthen his faith. And it could also be that he is a seeker, that he is one who is seeking truth and seeking after God. And, and, and so Dr. Luke is writing this account, perhaps to persuade this Roman official Theophilus to receive Christ as the Messiah. And here's what I love for this in our day is wherever you may be, whether you are someone who has walked with Jesus for decades or whether you are someone who's here today or listening online and you are seeking and you want to know more and you want to learn more. What I love is that this account is going to provide that gospel testimony and witness to strengthen our faith as believers, but then also to to reveal and affirm that Christ is the Messiah and the only one who can grant and give salvation. And so he's writing this book and it's our story. It's our history. I was, we just had first step uh, during our Sunday school hour. By the way, the next first step is going to come up in, in uh, two months from today. And, and what that is, is it's an opportunity for someone to learn more about who we are and what we believe and what, how to get connected. And so we had a great time and there's a little portion in there where we talk about the, the first Baptist of Olive Branch history there and how we have been a faith family gathering for 183 years. That's a, that's a lot of mileage right there. Um, but, but, but I talked to him after this morning uh, and was like, maybe we should just start saying we're about 2000 years old <laughs> because uh, this is our story. Acts is our story. It's the church, it's the gathering of the church. And so as we begin this story, let's look at Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Gentile physician, Dr. Luke, is presenting to most excellent Theophilus this account of Christ and the gospel. In verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, I think that's important to say, I have dealt with all Jesus began to do and teach. This was the first account. This was the gospel story. Is that, is that it's important for us to understand that Christ finished the work of salvation for all of those who had placed their faith and trust in him. That it was through his sinless, perfect life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection that he satisfied the righteous payment that is necessary for sinful man to be forgiven of their sin and have peace with God. He finished the work. When he's on the, when he's on the cross, his words, it is finished. It is done. Payment has been made. The wrath of God for your sin, for my sin, the sin of the world has been satisfied through God's son on the cross, crucified for us. They took him off the cross. They put him in a tomb. And on the third day, he resurrected from the dead. The work of salvation has been finished, but the work of the church is unfinished. And so the finished work of salvation, but yet the unfinished task. And mission that God has entrusted to us, his local church, to take this gospel to our schools and to our workplaces and into our homes and, and, and wherever our foot may go. That this, this, this task of, of getting the gospel to the ends of the earth continues 
to today. And so the book of Acts is this continued work. It ends abruptly at Rome's, at Paul's first imprisonment, but, but the, the message and the, the gospel and the mission tasks continue through the church today. I love the, the, the book of Acts. In your book, or if you have a, um, I might say this even on the, the apps there, but, but in my Bible it says the, the Acts of the Apostles, which that name's not divine, uh, but, but it might better be described as the Acts of the Holy Spirit because it is the Holy Spirit who has filled and empowered believers to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so what we see is the story of the Holy Spirit working in and through those who have been rescued and redeemed to make Christ known and make Christ glorified. It says in verse 3, it says that He, speaking of, of Christ, He presented Himself alive to them after His suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom. That He presented Himself after the suffering, after the resurrection, 40 days He walked on the earth. And, and some translations say, by many infallible proofs. In other words, Jesus' resurrection was, was visible. His resurrection was physical. That it was miraculous and it was incredible. And that, that, that Christ revealed Himself through many proofs. This is not a hallucination. This is not fake news. The tomb is empty. And that Christ revealed Himself through many infallible truths. Psychologists say, or psychiatrists say, it is possible for an individual to hallucinate, to have a hallucination. But it is impossible for a group of people to have the exact same hallucination. If, if just kind of example, if, if I told you I got here early before anybody else did, and I went out on the back part of our property uh, behind the A-frame, and y'all wouldn't believe this, but a, I saw a Sasquatch riding a unicorn with wings, and it flew around me seven times and then just vanished. All right, now, if I, <laughs> I came in and I told you that today, uh, somebody very quickly would be walking up here to escort me off the, this little platform and, 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 and get me some, some help because there's no way. But listen, this isn't a hallucination. This isn't something that one guy saw. The, the testimony of the resurrection of Jesus is profound and overwhelming. That, that the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6, Paul is writing to the church there. And he says this about Christ, that he appeared to more than 500 brothers at once after the resurrection. He goes on to say that most of whom are still alive. In other words, if you want to go and have a conversation with some of these people, you can track them down. He said some have fallen asleep. But for 40 days, visibly, Physically, miraculously, and incredibly, Christ is among His people. You can touch Him. You can feel Him. He is visible. He is real. This is Christ. And for 40 days, the Bible says, He began to invest and teach His disciples. He taught them about the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God. In verse 4, the Bible says that, And while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You might recall, if you're familiar with the Gospels, that there is a passage 
over in Matthew 28. It's called the Great Commission. And this was an, an encounter, a teaching opportunity where after the resurrection, Jesus told his disciples, hey, I'm going to meet you on the mountain in Galilee. And he brings together his disciples. We don't know. There could have been there could have been tons of people there, but we know the disciples were there. And it was in this setting that Jesus told them all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teach them all that I've commanded you. And then he says this at the end, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so they're, they're processing all of this great commission, I think, initially being overwhelmed. But I think when they realize the resurrected Christ who has all authority in heaven and earth is commissioning them, I think they're ready to roll. I think they're ready to go. I think they're ready to make known this gospel to the ends of the earth. And in verse 4 of Acts 1, Jesus told them to go, right? But he's saying, go, but not yet. <laughs> go, but not yet. Because this, this commission that I've called you to, this, this mission, this, this, this purpose that's way bigger than you, you will fail if you go about it in your own strength. That he knew it would be impossible he knew it would be impossible apart from his presence and his power. And so what he's encouraging them to go say is go, but not yet. Don't leave Jerusalem because not many days from now, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, his presence. Jesus taught his disciples about the Holy Spirit in John 14, John 16. You can find good detail and description there of the promise the promised one, the promise of the Father. His promise is that He's going to physically leave, but He's going to give them His Holy Spirit. The promise, the Bible describes the Holy Spirit as the helper. I love that. That the Holy Spirit is going to bring conviction of sin. The Holy Spirit is going to guide in truth. The Holy Spirit is going to glorify Christ. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is in that upper room with his disciples. And he says this in John 14, 17. He says, you know him talking about the Holy Spirit. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. God, the father, God, the son, God, the spirit, the Holy Spirit will indwell and empower believers. Chuck Swindoll, I love that brother and love uh, just listening to him. But he says this. This being this truth of being baptized by the spirit or being filled, empowered by the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. He says this announcement that the spirit of God would indwell every believer might seem unthinkable or unbelievable extravagance that the followers of Jesus could barely comprehend. But yet this is exactly what Christ is teaching us. And the same truth is true for us today, that if you have had that time and place where you've repented of your sin and placed your faith and trust in Christ for salvation, he gifts you. The Bible says you've been sealed with his Holy Spirit, gifted with his presence, living, dwelling inside you. Because this mission that he's called us to, we could never do on our own. And so he is empowered and he is filled. And then something crazy happens in the story. Have you ever been in a conversation and it's like a pretty serious conversation and then all of a sudden somebody just says something completely random that has absolutely nothing to do with the conversation that you're having and it's like, 
did you just hear what I just said? I mean, like, this is kind of the setting that I feel like is happening. Because in verse 6, Jesus has just told his disciples, listen, the promise of the Father is coming. Not many days from now, you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 6, the Bible says, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? I mean, I see it almost just like a, like a, like, I mean, I don't, I wasn't there. I don't know, but almost like, why, why'd you just say that? Like, did you just hear what Jesus is teaching us? But in this account, we know that the disciples would have grown up as Jews in Jewish homes. They were Jewish believers that they would have had the old Testament they're seeing the Old Testament fulfilled before their eyes. They would have read Isaiah 35, Ezekiel 36, Joel chapter 2 about the, the coming messianic kingdom where the Messiah will rule and reign forever and ever and ever and ever. And that's what they're about. They're ready for the kingdom. Hey, when, when is that going to happen? When is that part happening? In Mark chapter 10, it's over in verse 37. This is before the crucifixion of Jesus and he's foretelling with his disciples about the death and the burial and the resurrection. And then James and John jump in and they're like, they say, hey, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand in glory. He's, he's telling them what's going to happen and they're like, kingdom, can I be at your right hand? Can he be at your left hand? Can we work that out right now? And you just see this like they want to know, they want, they want details. How many of y'all want some details right now? I do. I mean, you want to know time? You want to know date? You want to know, like, when is all of this going to happen? Whatever it is, fill in the blank. We want to know. These disciples want to know. They want to know the time, the place. We can relate. I mean, can we? I, the disciples are so real in this. They have this, I don't know, almost sense kind of like a, like, they really want the kingdom and they're ready for the kingdom now. And they've, they've heard this whole, like, go and make disciples and I'm going to baptize you in my, my spirit. But, but they're like, kingdom, like, what about the kingdom? When's that happening? <laughs> When's that? Is it now? Is it now? Is it today? I mean, how many of you were that kid growing up? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? That was like my role. That was my function in my family. I'm in the back seat. We're going somewhere. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? How much longer? Are we there yet? These disciples are, are we thereing yet? <laughs> Jesus, are we there yet? Is the kingdom coming today? Because I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. All of us have those situations and things and circumstances we are waiting for. We are in the waiting room. And you can fill in the blank, whatever that might be. You could be sick and you could be taking some different medications, supplements. All this isn't as designed to help you feel better. You feel like you're taking Two steps back, one step forward, and you're just kind of doing this right here. And, and you feel like you're in this waiting room. How long is this going to take? There's been a diagnosis that has come. And it's rocking your world. And you're, you've got this, whether it's a procedure or it's treatment, and you're walking through this, and it's just this waiting. It's this waiting room. We've applied for a job that we would long to have and and, and, and we're operating all the wisdom and strength God's given us. And so we're, 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 we're pursuing the Lord in these things. We're trusting Him and we find ourselves in the waiting room. It could be even as a young adult, you're here. You have a longing to have a spouse one day. God, His timing hasn't provided that at this moment. But you find yourself in a waiting room. And, and what the encouragement would be is this. Is that God is at work in the waiting room. That what we feel is a waiting room. 
is a time where God is working and he's, he's sovereignly orchestrating and he's not absent, he's present and he has a plan. We can trust him. You can rest. We can trust his plan. We can trust God's plan. We can trust his timing. God is working. God is working. And so these disciples are like, when, 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 when? And Jesus redirects them. And here's what he says in verse 7. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. In other words, it's almost like he's saying, relax. God's plan is going to unfold in his timing. Brokenness is all around. Broken things are real. But my grace is enough. Hang in there. My plan's unfolding. And nothing can stop my plan. In my D group, we're walking through Job right now. In Job 42 verse 2. I love this reminder. I know Job says you can do all things. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And so there is this point where. When we want to know when. Christ is redirecting the conversation to, I want you to focus on the what. We want to focus on the when, I want you to focus on the what. And here's what he says, in, again in verse 7 and 8, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. Trust Him. Trust Him with the timetable. He says, he says this in verse 8, but you, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They're focusing on when's the kingdom, when's the kingdom, when's the kingdom, when's the kingdom. And Christ redirects the conversation and he says this, you're going to be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you not many days from now. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth. That the Holy Spirit is going to empower them, fill them. To be a witness. That word there for power is the same word we get our word dynamite from. It's, it's that, that God has gifted us with spiritual dynamite. His power. His resurrection power. That has gifted us for ministry. Gifted us for service. Fellowship. Investing the gifts that He's given us in the kingdom. And to be a witness. The word there to be a witness is the same word that we get. The word martyr. You're going to be my witnesses. This Marwan theologian said, The blood of the apostles became the seed of the church. Many were drawn to faith in Christ by observing how calmly and joyously Christians met their deaths. And so in a way we read this and Christ says, You will be my witnesses. And so in a very real way, anybody here in the room today or anyone listening in online, if you have accepted Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, we are witnesses. We are. We're witnesses. And the question that, that, that we must ask is, will we, by God's grace, will we choose by His grace and for His glory, what, what, to what level will we be a faithful witness? And to what level will we be an effective witness? Because at the point of salvation, God gave all of Himself to us in the Holy Spirit. That there's not like a, a second and a third and a fourth wave that comes. Like He gives Himself all to you as a believer. He seals us. But the Bible warns us as believers. He says, hey, 
don't grieve the work that I want to do in your life. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. In other words, yield your life to God's glory, God's mission, and, and, and align your life with this life that God has called us to live on mission, not in our strength, but in His strength. And He says, and you're going to be my witnesses, Judea, or Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. This is actually the outline of the whole book of Acts. He gives it right there. Because chapters 1 through 7 are all about the gospel in Jerusalem. The gospel here. And then you go in the verses, uh, chapters 8 through 11. It is all about the gospel in Judea and Samaria. So the gospel there. And then the rest of the book is about the gospel going to the ends of the world. At that time, in this book, you see the Roman Empire. Rome. It made it to Rome. And the gospel continues to go out in ever-widening circles. And this is the call that God has called us to. This is the ministry. This is the mission. Verse 9, the Bible says, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. In other words, Christ is coming again. He's going to come again. There's a lot of great study that's been done about end times. There's been a lot of great books that are written. A lot of godly people have a lot of godly wisdom around that. I think it's important to dig into that and, and, and study that. But, but also, I think it's important that as we are like, are we in the end times? Are we not? Are these the last days? One thing I know for sure, like we're closer today to the return of Christ than we were yesterday. And there, these are perilous times that we are in. And there is brokenness all around. And Christ could return at any moment. But when we are tempted to look to the wind and, and to, to get the date and the time, I believe that even in this passage... Christ is reminding us as the church, listen, that has been fixed. That has been fixed. All right. The Father knows He's coming again. But I want you to focus not so much on the when. I want you to focus on the what. And I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That is my plan for your life. And can you imagine those, those apostles, those disciples... And uh, can't you just, what if you were there? What if you were there on the Mount of Olives? Mount of Olives sits about 400 feet high, sits to the east of Jerusalem. And the Kidron Valley is right there in the Temple Mount. And that the, they're in this region of the Mount of Olives. And can't you imagine these disciples that they're just there? They're just like, I mean, they, they see it. They see Christ ascending into heaven, the clouds Cover him up. And then the angels are there and they're like, what are you looking at? What are you looking at? <laughs> and I can't help but kind of like play that in my mind a little bit. I'd be like, what do you think I'm looking at? <laughs> I mean, Jesus is ascending into heaven, the clouds. And, 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 and then the, the, the angels, they say, men of Galilee, why, are you, why do you stand looking into heaven? Je this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, he will come in the same way. 
And so Christ will return. Christ is going to return. And His return will be physical. His return will be visible. His return will be miraculous. It will be incredible. And He will come again. Zechariah 14 teaches us in the Old Testament that when He comes, His second coming, that He will come and He will descend on the Mount of Olives. That He will come again. Christ is coming again. He's coming again. And so... So, so while we wait and while we pray that God will fill in all of these blanks that all of us have and we continue to intercede and pray and ask and we continue to do those things and in the midst of all of that, may we not lose sight or, or, or lose the, the, uh, the gift of us in Scripture that says, listen, listen, as for that, that's been fixed by my Father I want you to be my witness. And I want you to be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So as we look at this, just these opening verses, there's so much to soak in from. But I just want to share a couple things. And maybe you heard it and even saw it along the way. But I just want to encourage us as the body of Christ. When we read this, we can be reminded that we can trust His plan. That we can trust God's plan and we can trust God's timing. I understand it can be the hardest thing to do, but yet he is trustworthy. He is faithful. He is good. We can trust his plan. We can trust his timing. When we get consumed with the when, and we do, I do. When, 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 when. God wants us to be focused on the what. He will be present. He's working in the waiting room. He is there. He is present. God is working in the midst of waiting. And He desires to empower us and fill us in the mission as we go. As we go. And then this third encouragement is that God has and will equip us with His power to accomplish what He has called us to do. That He knew those disciples. He was like, go but not yet. It's like, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In other words, I'm going to gift you with my presence to empower you and to fill you to live for my glory and for my mission. The Holy Spirit's going to convict of sin. It's going to reveal truth. It's going to glorify Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is for us what we can never be and do on our own. And so we can know with whatever God has entrusted us to steward, in our lives, that we do not go at it in our own strength, but we go at it with it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And one of my honest prayers, I'm just going to be just transparent with you to just a little bit of my heart. What I've been praying even this week is just, I want to sense your power. I want to know your power in a way that I never have before. Like I want to experience all of you. In all of me. And so may, may we find ourselves as believers. Yielded and surrendered to the leading of his spirit. And to know that his call on us is to be a witness. And then I'd also say that maybe you're here. And I mentioned there are kind of two groups of folks that are in the room or listening. And those in a relationship with Christ. And those without a relationship with Christ. One of my mentors had said, shared this along the way. And it kind of stuck with me. And I believe it's true is the gospel came to me because it's on its way to somebody else. The gospel came to me because it's on its way to somebody else. 
You think about that, the gospel moving from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, Olive Branch, Mississippi, here we are as a church 2,000 years later, gathering to glorify God and to make His gospel known. That's why we're here. And so I would just say to that person who might be seeking, might be praying, might be looking, that to be encouraged that once again, even today, through His Word, He is once again, the Gospel has come to you because it's on the way to the ends of the earth. And that for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. That we are not talking about fake news and we are not talking about a hallucination. We are talking about the resurrected Christ who came visibly and physically and miraculously and incredibly. And that He came to rescue us from our sin. To forgive us of our sin. To place His Spirit in us. To fill us and empower us for His mission. That He has made through His sacrifice an opportunity and a way for us to have peace with Him when there was no way to have peace. And not only that, but that we, by His grace, can live on mission today, but live with Him for all eternity. And so if you're here and you've never accepted Christ as the Lord of your life, I would just encourage you, the gospel has come to you, and God loves you. And I pray that you would give your heart and life to Jesus. It's only in Him that there's life and life to the full. I'm going to pray for us, and uh, let's just pray that the Lord would work in our hearts. Heavenly Father, thank You for this Word. Thank You for Acts. Thank You for Dr. Luke. Thank you for the beloved friend and companion, physician to Paul. God, on the front lines of ministry and mission. Father God, that you have provided us through the power and anointing of your Holy Spirit, this, this divinely authored account through his hand, through his heart, through his perspective. And Father, we thank you for the truths that we are reminded and discover in this text. And God, I just pray... God, I know all of us are waiting on something. And those things we're waiting on, they carry a lot of weight. They can carry a lot of pressure. They can cause grief and anxiety and weariness. But Father, I pray that we are reminded that we are not alone. We can trust you and trust your timing. And Father, we can rest in your plan, rest in your timing, and to know that as a believer, we do not go about this in our strength, in our own strength. But God, we go at it in the power of your Holy Spirit, the Helper. So Father, I pray your Holy Spirit as believers, work in our hearts, reveal sin, Convict us of sin. Lead us in truth. Lead us in victory. Lead us in those ways that we know you're calling us to, but on our own, we know we can't and we struggle and we fight, God, that we give ourselves completely to you, all of you, that we would grieve your spirit no more and we would follow you with all of our hearts. And God, that you would empower us, that we would experience your power in a fresh and mighty way to be a witness. You've got the wind. 
God, you desire to focus us to focus on the what. God, help us. Father God, again, for someone who may be here who doesn't have a relationship with you, I pray today will be the day of salvation. They acknowledge their need for you, repent of their sin, place their faith and trust in you and you alone, and rest in your grace and your forgiveness and the peace that comes in a relationship with you and a jump in on this mission that you've called us to, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.